Welcome back to Electricity Take It, episode 26, uh, a special episode, uh, an interview. With yeah, yeah, we initially intended on this episode being our Salem's Lot Part 2 episode, but we very, very quickly determined that this was a podcast all by itself. Yeah, we contacted uh, Mara on uh, social media because we'd seen a post she put up and then we found our blog. So we got in contact with her. Um, Mara plays the nurse in Salem's Lot, but also she... Uh, did a lot of work behind the scenes, uh, body double for David Soul and other cast members. So, she, we, she great stories, but we found out then there was a m- much longer lineage of Hollywood stories there. Hollywood royalty. Our father was a chairman of Columbia Pictures for a short time. He was an executive producer on such films as Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, The Towering Inferno, The Poseidon Adventure. Stories, if you like stories of old Hollywood, this is for you. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, we were lapping up the words and when we stopped recording we had another chat we could we probably have to revisit because the more blogs that are coming out we're saying oh we could have talked about that we could have talked about that so we want to thank Lyman Brewery for all the support over the last couple of weeks uh, we hope you enjoyed the competition uh, Vivian and Mark have been exceptionally generous and exceptionally supportive to us you can find Lyman Brewery on lyman.ie and also on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and also uh, visit Mars blog Life, Love and BS it's really good and we want to thank Mara for her support for the podcast. She's been very good. So, Mara, we're really, really happy to have you on. Um, as we mentioned, we, we, we were intending on doing a companion piece to the original Salem's Lot episode. But from reading your background and your bio, this is a podcast all in itself. This is, a, uh, this is one we've been really looking forward to. We've been reading your, the, the blog with great as fans of movie fans, yeah. we've been and reading music. the yeah, and music, but reading uh, reading the blog and some of the stories. And um, would you be able to just give us a, a quick background about growing up in like we're going to say Hollywood royalty in Los Angeles? Uh, <laughs> it, it it was very interesting. Uh, I I really grew up in a um, it's an old expression in Hollywood called "born in a trunk," which uh, actually means you know born in. Oh, with friends, relatives, family in the film industry. So my mother way back in the day was an actress in Italy when she was very young. Then she moved uh, to the United States and that's a long story in and of itself and um, ended up marrying my father. And my father was uh, in the film industry since the early forties. So he's worked on many, many major motion pictures as a production manager and or assistant director, you know, that sort of thing, just studio executive. He was um, executive vice president, general manager of Columbia Pictures before I was born for a few years and then backed away from that for all kinds of, uh, we'll call it studio political reasons. (laughs) Um, But that opened up the door for me, really. Um, As you probably both know, being movie buffs, um, that's a very nepotistic business. So it's all about who you know um, talent counts, but who you know is really important. Um, so as a child, I worked in commercials and I sang um, a sign-off song for a public access um, station called KTLA uh, back in the day, kind of like a PBS of today. And I think it was, I was about seven years old and I sang uh, America the Beautiful, which it's one of our songs here, which I suppose would probably be changed to America the Insane today, but um, I did that. And, um, and lots of little parts work, Alfred Hitchcock uh, presents, The Virginian, Arrest and Trial, commercials, that sort of thing. And uh, then my parents didn't want me to do any more work, um, studio work while I was in high school. So they said none of that. And um, I, I resumed when I turned 18, I had a choice of going to college, I uh, um, what was it, a scholarship in biology. Um, or my father said, you can do that, or you can come work with me in the film industry. Well, imagine what an 18 year old would choose. So <laughs> that was my uh, entree back into the film industry. So I did work with him on, on a few pictures, but also worked on my own on all, all kinds of things. Mostly my capacity, I would say was in the crew. I, I liked working with the lighting and camera crew as a stand-in, but I also did quite a few small parts and a um, couple of stunts and that sort of thing. 
And that brings you up to fairly up to date, although I, uh, it's been several years since I've been in that business. But um, We're reading your blog there and we're reading the stories. And when we were growing up in, in Dublin, uh, if you look at American TV, it's a place we would have never got to. And the news we ever thought we'd get to America was through TV. And you just see the, the sunshine and the, the white teeth and the, all the kids going to school in cars and say, geez, look at these people. But like you, we read your blog, like you were, you were you went to Judy Garland's birthday party? I did. I well, did. Uh, yeah, I was, um, I was a little thing. So this is a story that was, has been told to me many times by my, my mom and my dad. Um, but it was, they were good friends when, when they were married. Okay. They were friends with uh, Judy Garland when she was married to Sid Luft after the divorce from Vincent Minnelli. And so they would visit on weekends and parties and uh, Judy's son, Joey, had a birthday party. So they invited friends and I was about three, I guess. So I don't really have a lot of recall of that. But um, according to mom and dad, um, Liza took to me and had me on her lap feeding me cake the whole party. <laughs> so it would be nice to have that recall, but I don't, just, just stories. Yeah, the new, uh, did you see the new Judy Garland movie? It was really good. It was, it's very good. Yeah. Very it's good. It's quite sad, really, in the end. Like, it is. Um, it was very sad. And for a while there, I thought, um, you know, Liza might have fall, uh, followed in those footsteps, but she seems to be well. So, good thing. Um, you, you mentioned your dad working on, you know, being in the movie industry for since the 1940s. And he did work on a lot of big Hollywood blockbuster Oh yeah, uh, movies. And one of the stories that we read was about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and you getting to meet your, because your idol, your crush, Mister the one and only Paul Newman. Oh, that was amazing. <laughs> if you can imagine a, a a young girl, you know, adolescent, just getting her first crushes, twelve and thirteen years old, and my dad was wonderful at um, surprising with things, you know. So he set that up quite nicely for me when I visited him at the studio one day. And um, as we were driving out, he had Paul Newman come over to the window and say hello. And he distracted me. So I, you know, couldn't, didn't know what was going on. And then I turned my head and Paul Newman's face was right in front of my face. I thought it was nearly going to die. <laughs> I, I think those blue eyes still burn in my memory to this day. <laughs> So falling on my head And just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed Nothing seems to fit Those raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling So I just did me some talking to the sun What was your, some of your earliest memories from movie sets? Oh boy the early ones, well, certainly the ones that, that stand out the most are the, are the ones once I was 18, 19, 20 in there. And um, probably when I was, when my, again, a setup from my father, when I was on um, visiting on the set of Towering Inferno and actually worked a little bit on that picture too. Um, and my dad set up, <laughs> set me up to dance with Fred Astaire. And, um, you know, of course, you know, everyone thinks, oh, my goodness, you know, one of the great, great dancers of all time. And we were on a lunch break at the time and standing by the catering truck. And they always had music playing. And then all of a sudden music switched to ballroom music. And I thought, that's a bit odd. And then I felt a tap on my shoulder and I turned around and it was Fred Astaire. And he said, may I have this dance? And I and my jaw hit the ground <laughs> and my dad's off to the other corner and he's giggling and laughing. And I, you know, and I'm like, oh my God. And I, I don't even know if I spoke and he twirled me around, probably lasted a, a minute or two at most. And then he bowed and thanked me. And then they both gave each other some, something equivalent to a high five <laughs> and I never forgot it. So yeah, lovely memories. That was one special one. That's a great story. And, you know, growing up around movie sets and lots, did it ruin your enjoyment of movies, knowing the whole background stuff that went on? Did it kind of take away from the magic? Very good question. Um, sometimes, 
Uh, the, the more time has passed, I can remove myself. But there's still a moment when I'll say, well, I know where they did that. And I know how they shot that, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. And, and, and of course, filming now has changed so much. You know, I'm, I'm from back in the day with the big reels of film and all of that. And now it's just all digital, of course. So, um, but, but the way they do things, I think the basics are still the same. And I would say today, I just can enjoy a movie. Um, but when I was really working in the thick of it for all those years, it did sometimes, it did, it did. But I always enjoy a good performance though. Yeah, you talked about being, you know, a teenager in, in, in the industry, but also living in Los Angeles and getting the opportunity to frequent, uh, you know, Hollywood parties, the Playboy Mansion. Do you have any, any good tales you could tell us from there? <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a couple. Um, Only ones that you can tell us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they're in my blog, so I suppose I can tell it because it's out there anyway. <laughs> Um, I, and I will have to bring up, uh, I'll have to write a blog about my, my experience at the Playboy Mansion. I did have, I was invited to a few of those parties. I attended one, um, and they were wild. They were wild. Not quite as wild as some of the things I read, or at least I didn't see that part of it. Um, but you know, anyone who knew anybody again, back to all that. And if you were a young, attractive girl, you were going to be on that list. So a friend of mine, Renee and myself, she's since passed sadly, um, were on that list. So um, I did go and it was an, it's an amazing place. Um, the mansion was enormous. The pool is something I'll never forget. It had a grotto in it where you could actually swim underneath and come up into what was like a seating area or even a bar. Um, so that was quite great. But as far as all those stories about people having sex everywhere, I didn't see that. <laughs> I think there it was going on behind closed doors. I'm quite sure of that. Um, but I didn't get into any of that stuff. But it was, but it was great fun. Um, other parties, uh, a big big party up at um, oh, what's his name, David Carradine's place up in Laurel Canyon. Um, my ex husband was working on a film that he was on. And he invited us up there and that was pretty wild and fun. Um, in fact, I was slipped a very interesting um, intoxicant and didn't realize that, that it, what was happening. Um, <laughs> it, I thought they were uh, passing me some marijuana and being a young girl and that was the thing to do. I said, okay, sure. And um, David passed me a pipe and I had a little bit of that and I passed it back and then I got extremely sick. And I found out later that it actually been laced with opium. <laughs> so that, that took a really fun party and kind of changed it a little bit for me. Um, I think the, the other thing would be my, and this is kind of removed, so perhaps um, we'll talk another time, but uh, was when I had the opportunity to um, tour with the Beach Boys, but that's not really movies, and that's another story. So. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> what you might oh, not God. understand is this, this podcast is movies, music, theater, oh. and we are both big Beach Boys fans. And when we were doing our research, it was one point that Kieran just missed. I missed it completely, and I stared at What? How did I miss that? We, it, 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 like, jumped off the page. So if you can, we would love to hear stories especially 70s stories of you know 1970s i'm, I'm sure um brian wilson was probably well i know he definitely wasn't touring with them at the time and uh, yeah just mike love and well um you know <laughs> this this could go on for about four hours so <laughs> <laughs> well so I'll, i'm just going to give you some highlights um gosh well this is back in I may have my, my year slightly off. I'm going to say 83. And um, I had met the Beach Boys. Well, let's start with uh, um, Carl Wilson. I met Carl Wilson because I was spending a lot of weekends as a teenager with my friends in their home in Santa Monica, which is a beach town in the Los Angeles area. And he lived next door to them when he was married to his first wife, Annie Wilson. 
um, she was actually, well, well, too much in the weeds. I'll get into that later. But uh, so they, he would ask us to babysit his sons, Justin and Jonah, uh, my friend Cindy and myself. So we would happily do so. And of course he was like, here's tickets, here's backstage passes, that sort of thing. So that's how it all started. And then years went by and you know, a lot of people think that just because you live in Los Angeles, you know, all the movie stars, you know, and it's really not true. It happened to be fairly true for me, but that was mostly because of my dad, right? So, um, so, so I had a lot of introductions, but on the, again, on the Beach Boys part of it, I had met a, a, a gentleman and we were dating for a while and we had we, he had tickets to the Beach Boys concert. And I said, well, I have, I've got some too. And we can go backstage. And he said, well, I can take you backstage too. And I said, I didn't know that. Okay, that's something we haven't discussed. So we went to the concert and we went backstage and um, Dennis, uh, who's since passed away as is Carl, I knew him as well, of course, just from the concerts and all that. He came out after the concert and he looked at my boyfriend, Tom, and he said, oh, so good to see you, so on and so forth. And he looked at me and he goes, what are you doing with him? And I said, I'm not sure, <laughs> um, but uh, we're dating now. And he says, well, this is a small world. And Dennis said to, to us, he said, well, hey, are you still out in Marina Del Rey in, that, in, in the cottage you had? And we were, I was um, staying with him now and then. And he said, okay, I'll be over after the concert. And I thought, okay, well, let's see if he shows up. Um, about one o'clock in the morning, tap on the door. And that's, De and here's Dennis Wilson. His limo driver's out front, he comes in and we sit down and proceed to have an entire night of drinking and talking and talking and drinking. And he did a lot of drinking. <laughs> and um, I was sitting there feeling like a third wheel so I called my good friend, the one that I was babysitting uh, Carl's uh, sons with, Cindy. I called her and I said, maybe you should get over here because I feel like a third wheel. <laughs> and she said, oh, you're kidding me. He can't, he's not there. I said, oh, he's here. So I think she showed up in a, she was probably about 15 minutes away. I think she showed up in about three seconds, it seemed like, at the door, all makeup done and everything. Very funny. Anyway, we, we, had a lot, really fun night, very exhausting night. I certainly couldn't keep up with all the drinking and stuff, but, um, but you know, I was really young then. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, Cindy ended up going home. Oh goodness. Wee hours of the morning. I don't know, before sunup. And um, Dennis looked at my boyfriend and said, Hey, Tom, I, I, I could use you as a bodyguard because he was a big strapping guy. And he says, help keep me sober, would you? And, um, and he says, I'll do it. He says, I'm, I'll be tough on you. He says, that's what I need. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to play with the band. So they took off and I proceeded to clean the apartment, not knowing what just had happened. And a few hours later, I got a phone call from Dennis. And he says in his very rough, gruff voice of those days, hey, mama, you know, I don't like you sitting at home and, and being all by yourself while we're up here. He says, I, I left you a, a ticket. Um, at the airport at such and such airlines and just go there and give them your name and take the ticket and come on up to Park City, Utah. I was actually flying into Salt Lake City, Utah. And he said, but make sure when you arrive in Salt Lake City that you don't page me. He said, because there'll be chaos. He says, and don't page the Beach Boys. He says, just page Brother Records. So I was very excited, um, got in a cab, uh, went to the airport, got my ticket, arrived in Salt Lake City, paged Brother Records, and a chauffeur came to get me. And funny thing, jump in the limo, and who's in the limo? Carl, Carl Wilson. And at the time, he had just married Gina Martin, which is Dean Martin's daughter. And he looks at me, and again, I get the question, what are you doing here? <laughs> Very funny. And, and I said, well, this was through Dennis. And he says, oh my goodness. He says, well, I'm happy you're here. And we had this beautiful couple hour drive up to Park City um, where we were talking and reconnecting. And, and I really got to feel what it was like to be 
somebody so well-known. And as exciting as it can be, I can't even imagine living a life of that, of that magnitude. Because as we, as we approached the stage in Park City, there were maddening crowds of women, of young women, maddening. And this is in the early 80s. So, you know, they were big then, but they were even bigger before. I, I guess they've maintained their, their level of, of excitement. But, you know, it was, they were throwing themselves on the limo and it was very frightening. And, and we had a police escort. And I looked at Carl and I said, oh my God. And he said, yeah. He said, now do you see why I bought a ranch up in Colorado? Because <laughs> he did buy a ranch up here, Caribou Ranch that he owned um, until he passed away. And I said, I do. So in a flash of a minute, um, the doors opened as we arrived and these big guys shuffled us off to the to backstage. And there I was backstage with all the, you know, the dressing rooms and trailers and, and all of that. And um, I looked up on the hill because this is a big ski resort and it was all festival seating, what we call festival. So it's all sitting on the ground or wherever. And there were thousands and thousands. And I was just, you know, I was used to a camera, <laughs> but I wasn't really used to that it was like being live on in theater or something you know it was just a big gulp for me so i said oh i'm just really happy they're over there and i'm over here no such luck so they're about ready to start and dennis was they they tried dennis but he was just too wiped out and couldn't really perform so mike kowalski who was another drummer of theirs and a friend of mine as well he and carl came backstage and grabbed me and said, you're coming on stage and you're gonna dance and you're gonna sing. And I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> I said, nope. And they said, oh yes, you are. So they grabbed me, they brought me up on stage and they gave me, oh, just like what looked like a couple of bones to be honest, just like percussion, just to stay in time, right? So they said, just stay with the beat and here's a mic and just sing back up don't worry about it. He says, you're gonna be fine and make sure you dance a lot. And that's what I did. And it was amazing. And after a few minutes, I just kind of made everybody out there look like a big blur. You know, they used to say, imagine everybody naked. That didn't work for me. <laughs> I just imagined a big blur. So it was, it was a lot of fun. And, and I flew with them on their private jet after that. And we went to, this was more of a state tour. So we went to all different stops in California. Probably I was on about four or five. And the last one was in Las Vegas at Caesars Palace. And then I, I was dropped back at home. And that's my story. <laughs> that's not story. Wouldn't it be nice if we were older Then we wouldn't have to wait so long And wouldn't it be nice to live together In the kind of world where we belong No one's gonna make it that much better When we can say goodnight and stay together So, Mary, you mentioned there that you were, um ended up the tour in Vegas. Was that the time that you met Frank Sinatra? Ah, uh, no, it wasn't that one. It was uh, when I was uh, 21, actually. Uh, we were big fans of Las Vegas, my family was, and we would go frequently. And uh, even when I was a small child. And my mother bought me um, tickets for my 21st birthday to go see Sinatra at Caesars Palace in Vegas. So I grabbed a good friend and we uh, drove through the desert and went to Vegas, um, not very far from LA, only about three and a half hours, four hours. And it was an amazing show, it was fantastic. Um, we had a blast and uh, after the show, we went out to gamble a little bit and Tara went off to the slots and I went over to play blackjack. I was looking for a lower minimum table because, you know, on weekends, they raise these minimums in casinos, even back in the day. So I'm looking for a dollar table, which don't even exist anymore. Okay. <laughs> uh, today, they're probably $10 or something to start. And I see this massive crowd around a table. So I have to go over and see, oh, you know, nosy body. I have to know what's going on. And I look and I see Sinatra at the table, cigarette over here, drink over here. And he's playing 
what appeared to be about $1,000 a hand because they were black chips and those are a hundred a piece and there were several, okay? So could have been about that much. And he spots me and I'm all dressed up of course and young and you know blonde and tan and all that stuff that us young girls in California want to look like. And he says, hey, honey, come on over here and bring me some luck. Come stand by me. And I'm like, who, me? <laughs> and he says, yeah, come over here. He might bring me some luck. Sure enough, and I'm like shaking, he won at least the next three hands that I remember. And then he, you know, like took a sip of his drink and made a little comment and looked at me, handed me a hundred dollar chip, put it in my hand. And he said, go have some fun. Thanks, kid. And I'm like, whoa. Of course, you know, I had that chip for the longest time. <laughs> I still have it somewhere, but it was amazing. Uh, they're going to be the chairman of the board. That's the place to do it. Yeah. Exactly. Old blue eyes, chairman mm -hmm. of the board. Sure. And have you got this kind of uh, aura around them? You, you know, if somebody walks into a room and they don't think it's a natural. Say the minute somebody walks into a room, you spot that he's there, you feel that he's there. Have you got that kind of presence? He, he absolutely did. I mean, if I had to guess, I would have guessed it was him anyway. But it could have been anybody because you see celebrities in Vegas too, you know. Um, but yeah, he definitely had a presence. And, and in, my, in my thinking back, there's only a handful of um, movie stars, if you want to call them movie stars, that had that kind of presence to me. I mean, and then there's others who maybe wanted to have that presence. And I'm like, oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Would, would it be fair to say uh, Sean Connery had that impression on you? Yes. I still swoon when I hear that name. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that he, he was one of those. Sean Connery was one, Paul Newman was one. Yeah, he was um, a gentleman's gentleman and a ladies man and a professional and um, all the positive accolades you can imagine. It was my experience. And I've talked to a few people who knew him far better than I did. Um, and they all say the same thing. So that's nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah. He unfortunately, you know, he he sadly died recently, and when he did die, a lot of people came out and said some bad things about him. But then you hear the good stories. You know, there's always two sides to every story. And the truth somewhere in the middle. The truth is somewhere. And you know, that's the truth. I always say there's three sides. There's you know your side, my side, and the truth. Yeah. And 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 there's always someone who's you know has an axe to grind or wants to you know. So can, you, yeah. can you elaborate on your experiences on working on um, blockbusters such, such as The Swarm? <laughs> the B movie, right? The B, the B, 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 <laughs> B movie. The B, B movie. It was a B movie too. It, it flopped. Uh, although it's funny how fans have um, gathered to it now after the fact. Kind of reminiscent to me of what happened with Pet Sounds with the Beach Boys. I mean, it, it's an amazing album, but it did nothing when, when it came out. And since then, it's you know, been amazing. So, um, well, let's see, um, blockbusters. Well, the Swarm, was, the Swarm was not a blockbuster, but like I said, it's turned into having quite a cult following, kind of um, like Salem's Lot and some of those other movies. Um, it was, it was interesting. There were a lot of major stars, which was really um, the way Irwin Allen did everything. Um, he, he spared no expense. I mean, he got the biggest names in Hollywood he possibly could and he paid them handsomely. So even though some of them, and I recall this well, Michael Caine for one, none of them really wanted to do the picture. I remember this so clearly. They were like, ugh, do I have to do this? Okay, we're gonna go shoot this. We're gonna shoot. Because honestly, some of the dialogues, some of the scripts were a little weak and kind of corny in my opinion. And, but they did it because their agents went, what are you crazy? That he's gonna pay you $5 million, you're, you know? And, and, and you know, so laugh all the way to the bank and blah, blah, blah. So they did it. So. Um, I, I do remember, I mean, we made, we had fun, all right, um, during the shooting. It was always fun. 
Erwin was a real professional, very good friend of my father. So my dad was working on that as well. At the time, my ex-husband, who was a costumer, a men's wardrobe, you know, uh, man, uh, was on it as well. And um, I think the most exciting part for me was that I, I actually got to sit and chat with some pretty big icons in the industry. You know, people like Fred McMurray, um, Olivia de Havilland, Michael Caine, Catherine Ross. I mean, these are big names, you know, and especially the first two, because they're like old classic vintage movie actors. And um, I tried for this little part as a secretary to Olivia de Havilland and got the part. I don't know if dad had anything to do with it or it just worked out, whichever the case. Um, and uh, so my scene was actually with Fred McMurray and that led into a scene with Olivia de Havilland and that was great fun. And just being able to talk to people of, of that caliber and, 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 and hearing compliments here and there, you know, thinking, oh, maybe I do have a chance in this business, you know, that sort of thing. So it was, it was great fun. You, you mentioned about the swarm being a, like a B movie and a big flop. Mm. And Michael Caine has famously said on more than one occasion, he has made some terrible movies in his day, but he's never had a bad review. Amen to that. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. everyone did their best, but you can't, you know, if you've got a very corny dialogue or script, I mean, you can act yourself out of that box fantastically, but the means in the meantime, those, those words are still there, you know? Yeah. So. Michael Caine famously won an Oscar for Aunt Hannah and her sisters and wasn't able to attend the Oscar ceremony because he was filming Jaws for the Revenge. In <laughs> I remember this. Oh my God, I remember this. Yeah. kids this aired like in Ireland you had two state channels RT1 RT2 and then we got the UK channels BBC1 BBC2 and this was before Wi-Fi you know internet and this show was coming on Salem's Lot I knew nothing about it I hadn't read the book I remember sitting with my father and he switched around by accident and it was it was just at the scene where the um the box is moving up the truck the two boys are driving the truck and the box is moving up and my dad was saying but just we'll stay with this. This looks interesting. But Jesus, he hopped off the chair when Barlow hopped up, and I still, I today was watching the clip of young uh, uh, Ralph Cleek knocking on the window. It still gives me a shiver because I was a kid. I was only eight. My God, I don't let my eight-year-old watch Sagan's Law. But I was, I was only eight, and I seen that vampire knocking at the window, and to have that, the music and the scene. So, what was it like to work? I know you. you spoken your blog about David Soul and uh, meeting Stephen King as well so that'd be great you could fill us in. Well I loved working on that movie that was one of the ones I enjoyed the most to be honest um it what first of all I loved shooting up in Ferndale California which is way up in the northern coast it's so gorgeous there charming little town I was David Soul's stand-in on that film. And for, for those listeners who don't know what a stand-in is, it's someone who works with the technical part of shooting with the camera and lighting crew. Um, so when the actors, they'll walk through their scene and then they tell them, go relax. And they bring in what's called the second team. And that's us. And we work with the camera crew for lighting. So you have to have the same coloring and basically same type of hair and clothing. So you, you, we do the dirty work. Okay. Um, anyway, so uh, that was a lot of fun. And um, we shot a great large portion of the movie actually on the soundstage at Warner Brothers. But the exteriors were shot in Ferndale. So getting to know David was lovely, very charming guy. He was just coming off of two big hits, the Starsky and Hutch show and, and a song that became a big hit for him uh, called Don't Give Up On Us. 
Um, I think he had a few other songs. I think he had an album, but that was his Silver Lady. Pardon? He had a hit with a, a song called Silver Lady. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So you're 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 younger than I am, so your memory's better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was a lot of fun because I would go in and, and sit with him in his um, he had a motorhome, big one. And you know, a few of us would go in, he'd play music, he, we'd talk stories. He was a very normal, approachable type of guy, you know. It wasn't like um talking to a megastar, although he was probably at his peak back then. Yeah. And um, actually much of the time, so that was me. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else can I tell you? Uh, well, I know, well, this is in my blog too, so I guess I can mention it. Um, there was something definitely going on between Bonnie Bedelia and Toby Hooper. <laughs> um, and hopefully don't get sued if this gets out much. But anyway, um, there was something going on. Everybody knew it. And it was kind of crazy. And it was a lot of crazy times back then, actually. Um, you know, the motion picture industry is kind of known for being wild. And back then, probably even wilder than it is today. So there were lots of, you know, drugs and that sort of thing going on. And you're trying to shoot a picture and you have to stay on budget, which was one of my dad's biggest jobs was keeping the film on budget. And then you have people not showing up or coming in late and all that. So it was, you know, big sweat <laughs> for, for the producers and production managers. But for us, the cast and crew, we just had a really good time. And, um, and I, Bonnie was, was nice. I didn't get to know her very well. Um, but I think the time I spent working just as a crew member and then doing my, my little part as the nurse was so much fun for me because I had to practice a blood curdling scream so many times I nearly lost my voice. We, we, we listened to your scream today. <laughs> we said to Poor you. <laughs> You listen to uh, but, it twice. Oh God! If you're not deaf yet, but but they like that. The producer liked it, so he used it in a short trailer that I was trying to get my hands on and haven't seen that. I've seen the the longer trailer, the one that's you know a little a minute or two, but I I haven't seen the short one that kept playing continuously on on commercials back in the day. That was basically a shot of Barlow, um, a shot of David Soul and Lance Kerwin. And then my screen and like maybe two other clips. I don't know. That's gone. But I um, would love to get my hands on that one. But great fun. It's yeah. out there somewhere. And you said Stephen King on your blog. Stephen King was on set a lot. How was he? Did you get to talk to him? And I did. I did. He was our technical advisor. And um, so, you know, everything had to be as close to the script as possible, of course. And um, he was very quiet. He used to pace all the time. He held his hands behind his back. And he'd pace up and pace back and pace up and pace back. And one day I just had the nerve and I went up to him and, and I just said, hi. And he responded. He kind of looked up at me and I said, you know, you write so many amazing books. You know, how do you, how do you come up with so many ideas? Something to that effect. And he said, he said, I have to write. I have to write. If I don't write, I'd go insane. And I went, oh, Okay, I didn't know what to say at that point. You know, it was just kind of right there. And I realized that he's got like this, this kind of a genius going on in him, certainly to be such a prolific writer that I can understand that putting it all on paper was a way, was almost like a therapy for him. He kind of continued with saying a little bit more than that. And we didn't talk more than a couple minutes and then, you know, day to day, just hi, how are you? That sort of thing. But very interesting that he would say that to me, yeah. <laughs> Have you become aware how ingrained Salem's Lot has become in the public consciousness over the last 40 years since it came out? Like, it, it, it is extremely, um, even now today, they're planning on making a, another remake. You know, I didn't know. And um, it all came about because, oh, for about two, three years now, I've been playing around with the idea of creating a blog. And I thought, you know, if for nothing else, these are my memoirs and I don't want them to disappear. And I have a son who 
might find them interesting one day when he's um, a little bit more grown and out of himself. Right now, he's still really into himself <laughs> in his mid-20s. Um, so I played with the idea. And then I finally said, you know what? It's, if not now, when? So I started writing it last August. And um, I did a timeline and uh, with just my life history and that sort of thing. And I'm not necessarily following it chronologically. You know, I'll skip around. Sometimes I do chronological. And um, so I, I named the pictures and all the different things I did. And then I thought, well, I need to find out if there's anybody even remotely interested in any of this stuff, especially the B movies. And I talked to a girlfriend and she said, oh, Mara, you know, everything in the world's on Facebook. And I said, well, everything. Yeah, that's true. I don't know if these things would be there. Well, big surprise. Um, it's where I met you guys is yeah. that uh, Salem's Lot Facebook group. And apparently there's two of them. Then yeah. I went into the whole area. I've looked at the Wonder Woman series. Then when I worked with Linda Carter, there's several of those pages. And then I followed Then there's on Instagram and there's this. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't even know. I couldn't believe it. And it, it, it makes me smile inside, honestly, because to me, it's keeping my dad alive, you know? It's keeping my memories alive, but it's also keeping his alive, which are the most special for me. So it's, it's great. There are people with a, an absolute ferocious need to revisit the past because, well, you know, you see the, 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 yeah. um, the big budget studios. Um, it, this, or just before Christmas, uh, a remake of The Stand came out. And oh. as I mentioned, they're remaking Salem's Lot for the second time. So and people... Well, for us, the original is always best. And Salem's Lot was definitely, definitely one of my favorites growing up. I couldn't tell you how many times I've seen it. I couldn't even hazard a guess. And I've watched it with my children, uh, you know, and, and they're only 10, 15. They've both seen it. Um, and they had the reaction. I have, a, I have a great video of my daughter looking at the uh, Danny Glick scene where he comes up and she's watching it. And, you know, I remember when we shot that and um, I, I'll tell you after, let's say a few years after that came out, you know, it was done as a two part miniseries for television originally. And I've watched it since then. And I, I honestly think that for the time, it was probably one of the best horror films around because, well, in thinking back, I think the great horror films that, well, what I call great, were done way back in the day, like in the days of Frankenstein and Bela Lugosi and Dracula and all those. And, and um, oh, what's the other actor? And you probably know him. I just, I just yeah, there's a few of them. Um, so Boris uh, Karloff was Frankenstein, Bela Lugosi was Dracula, and yeah. Lon Chaney Jr. was the Lon world. Chaney. There you go. I mean, those movies, those were like, you know, the big deal horror movies. And then I think there was a gap in there. And then here comes Salem's Lot, and I, I, I think it's fantastic. It's still, it, it certainly gives me chills. But when I see, <laughs> when I see Danny Click or Ralphie, for that matter, come into the window, it's scary. But see, I know how they did it, so yeah. that does pop into my head. Well, now, if I don't you look closely, if you look closely, you can see the boom come in. You know. Yeah, it's a boom. It's a big yeah. boom. Yeah, yeah. You watch, you, 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 yeah, I was watching it today, and you can see again. Um, when uh, Mr. Barrow comes into Lance's, uh, or what's his name? The actor's room. Mark Petrie. Mark Petrie comes into the window. You can see the strings pulling in the prop, like we have to slow it down. But Mr. Barrow, what, what was Reggie Nader like? Did you get to speak to him or James Mason? What were they like? I, I spoke with uh, um, James Mason a little more, but I did speak with Reggie. Reggie was um, also very quiet kind of a proper Austrian gentleman. He was up in years then too, you know, of course I say that now and he's probably about my age, but, <laughs> um, but uh, just, he wasn't on set a lot. He spent hours and hours and hours in makeup. Yeah. You can imagine. And, yeah. um, you know, with all, all everything they did. And cause in those days they can't just, they didn't just digital it up, you know, digitize it up like they do today they did, did that and they all had to wear, all the ones, all the characters that turned into vampires had to wear these hideously uncomfortable contact lenses. 
I remember hearing them all complain about, oh, this is horrible. This is horrible. God, quick, get the shot, you know, <laughs> give me more drops, <laughs> that sort of thing. But Reggie was a delightful man. The little bit I interacted with him, um, he was sweet, quiet, professional sort of thing. And Mr. Mason, oh, he was just a consummate professional and his wife, a total delight. Clarissa Kay, yeah. She had, a, um, well, she played Danny's mom, right? In the movie. And she also turned into a vamp vampire. And there was a scene where David Soul, you know, where she's laying on the gurney and he, he kind of cuts her in the arm. That's my arm. <laughs> no way. Is it? Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's just a little thing. But I just, the reason I remember it so clearly is because you know, when they have to do a scene over and over and over to get it right, I had to go back to makeup every time because that scar, that cut was ruined, right? So then they have to redo it and redo it. I mean, my arm was <laughs> miserable, <laughs> but I think they got it after about the, the fourth take or something like that. Well, so it has its place in a pop culture history, definitely. I mean, it must be great to be a part of it. Um, I'll just ask you, have you ever been asked to go on these like comic cons or horror cons to, to, to sit there because I imagine that would be a big demand, especially around Salem. So, and of course, Wonder Woman and Judas Lucky. You know, I haven't, um, but I would truly, that would be something I would love to do, especially in these years of my life. And, and um, I, I'll, ha I'll have to look into it. I'm, you know, still talking about so many other films with some other people it just came up also. And you were mentioning Blockbuster, I was thinking about Poseidon Adventure. You know, that was a very big deal. And you want to talk about these, these um, fan clubs. My God, there are Poseidon maniacs. I think that's what they call themselves or something like that. They're everywhere. So, I mean, I, there are so many different areas to look into and um, I'll have to do it. You guys will have to crush have you, me. Um, have you thought about writing a book? So uh, would, the, would the, uh, the blog be a genesis possibly for a, a, a collection of stories. Yeah, in fact, that's, that's something I am thinking about. Um, and I plan to continue this and see where, as I call it, life, love and BS <laughs> um, will take me. I think um, I, ha I will have enough to create a book. Um, but that, so that's on the back burner, but it's, it's, it's definitely on the road somewhere, yeah. Yes. So um, just to say that we're happy or ecstatic to have spoken to you and listened to your stories is an understatement. Can you just tell us what you're doing now? What, what, what is life? I know every, we all know what everybody is doing right now. But I mean, if there was no <laughs> pandemic, if there was no COVID and we all weren't in our little bubble, what, what is Mara up to these days? Well, what keeps me busy today, honestly, is my blog. Um, I, I like to put out a blog once a week. And even though I, I like to think I have a decent memory, um, I still like to do my research to make sure that I haven't forgotten a particular uh, date or something like that. So it's right. So I do that. Um, I, my husband does a little bit of in, investing in, in things like that. We enjoy our Colorado home. We love to travel, although this year has been, well, you know, um, <laughs> been insane. And, and um, we won't get into uh, the government problems here because it's a real nightmare and hoping for the best for our future. And it's been an embarrassment and a nightmare. That's all I can say. Um, that would be a whole other topic on a, probably a different show. And I don't know if I have the stomach for it anyway. <laughs> I don't think we would either. Yeah, That's yeah. Movie. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I do work with a company um, only because I believe in what they do. And um, I do it as a little part-time affair. I work with a company called Legal Shield that um, provides uh, access to uh, legal services and identity theft protection for small businesses. But that's because underneath all of this, whatever Hollywood's supposed to look like stuff that you see is kind of a, uh, a social justice advocate. So whenever I can help people in need, um, I, I like to do that. And I've done quite a bit of lobbying in my past when I've seen, um, found out that things were just not what I thought were fair or right. 
and spent time when I lived in New York, going up to the Capitol up there and lobbying for this and that. I haven't done a lot of lobbying recently. Um, again, I don't know if I have the energy or any of that, but I try to get behind things that I feel are important in the nation. And um, so between all of those things, it keeps me pretty busy. Well, Mara, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I'd like to thank you for giving up your Friday afternoon. And we really appreciate it. I wish you all the best. Uh, it's been a pleasure for me. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Conversation. What stories, absolutely brilliant, especially for someone like myself and Kieran, who have such an interest in, in film and film history. Yeah, and uh, the way, like when we were speaking, she said, Asha, that's for a new episode about the Beach Boys. And we said, whoa, 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 no, no, talk on, talk on. It was amazing, amazing. Um, we, we can't thank her enough. As we said at the beginning in the intro, we have uh, pinned uh, Mara's blog to the Let Chrissy Take It Facebook page. It's love, life, and BS. Yeah, visit it. Really, really entertaining reads. Um, talk, as discussed in the pod, plus much, much more. And again, we just really want to take this opportunity to thank Lineman Brewery, our sponsor for the last couple of weeks. Uh, they've been really supportive, and we couldn't have asked for more. Great partners, and you can find them on lineman.ie and also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And as always, don't forget to mention the Electricity Take It podcast while making your order. We have been assured you'll be well taken care of. Please, let me in. It's okay, Mark, I'm your friend. He commands it.